0: Hey there, you're listening to the Soul Survivor New South Wales podcast. Here is some great Bible teaching from our More Than a Song 2016 conference. For more information, go to our website, soulsurvivornsw.org.au. Enjoy! Thank you. Well, it is good to see you guys. If you have a Bible, you should open it up to... 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And while you do that, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning. So we're going to read that passage. But then uh, what's going to happen is I'm going to preach, and like I often like to do when I preach about the subject I'm preaching about, I'm going to give people a chance today to become Christians So, if you are not a Christian, then you should be ready in case this is something you want to do at the end of my preaching. And some people will be like, what the heck? It's day two of Soul Survivor. You know, this is way too early to do this. We we need to wait till the end. Um, But we don't, because there's a good chance that you guys who are here, some of you have been hanging out in your youth groups for weeks or for months or for years, and you've been hearing about Jesus, and you're like, actually, I I really want to make a decision. I want to say... I want to follow Jesus. And so this will be your, a chance to do it. So I want you to pay attention so that at the end, when I give you the chance to become a Christian, there are no surprises. Can, we, can you be prepared for that? Good. Thank you. All right. So now you've got it. 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 9. This is called David M. Mephibosheth. It's a good name, that one. Are we ready? I'm going to read it to you. This is what it says. David asked... Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, "Are you Ziba at your service?" he replied. The king asked, "Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness so I can show God's kindness?" Zeba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Zeba answered, he is at the house of Mekiah, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So the king David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Mekiah, son of Amiel. When When Mephibosheth, I've been practicing this for months. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. "'Mephibosheth bowed down and said, "'What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me?' "'Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant steward, and said to him, "'I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. "'You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him "'and bring in crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. "'And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table.' Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. So there you go. There is the story, and we will get to that. But before we get there, I want to tell you about something that happened to me a while ago. When I was a young man, just finished high school, I had this dream that I wanted to become a world-famous film director, which, as you can see, worked out really, really well. I wanted to be this director, so my plan was I was going to work in the film industry and I was going to get the low-level jobs. I was going to do that for a while and then I was going to work my way up. So I spent months writing to production companies and applying for jobs and telling people, I will work for free, I'll do whatever you want. I would, I, would, I would just do anything to be part of the film industry. I tried all these things, and for months, nothing happened. And then eventually, God said to me, Tom, I don't want you to work in the film industry. I want you to work in ministry, which may have him just been, just having mercy on me, saying, that's not going to work. Here you go. I'll give you something you don't need to be qualified for. And then, um, sorry, youth pastors. Anyway, I, uh, I, I was doing this. I was like, right, I'm going to ministry now. This is exciting. Uh, but then... I got a phone call, and it was from a producer. And he was like, hey, I am going to make a commercial. I was wondering if you still want to do some work. Would you like to be a runner? And I was like, yes, I would. Like, if I could keep working in the film industry and do ministry, I was like, that would be the best. I was like, I will take that job. And so I was really keen to impress them. They were making a dog food commercial. I was like, yes, I love dog food. That's my favorite. I'll do that commercial. And so I got the job. I turned up for my first day of work. And I went to the producer's house, and the producer's like, great, your first job, Tom, is to go uh, to Surrey Hills. He was in North Sydney. Go to Surrey Hills and pick up some costumes and then come back. It should take no more than an hour. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. So I hopped in my car, which was actually my mum and dad's big white van, and I was pretty new on my red peas. And this was in the days before Google Maps, and so I needed one of those paper maps. And because I was so new to everything, I had to drive through the Sydney CBD I had no idea where I was going, and I was like, this is going to go terribly, terribly wrong. And it went terribly, terribly wrong. It didn't take less than an hour. It didn't take less than two hours. It took three hours for me to get from North Sydney to Surrey Hills and back again. I was like, I am the worst runner ever. I was so keen to impress him, but I'm like, I'm stuffing up right from the beginning. But I came back to his house and he was very nice about it. And he like, okay, now you got to drive me and we'll go to the director's house. We'll pick up the director, then we'll go to the set. I was like, okay, I can do that. And we hopped in the car and he said to me, Tom, I'm a really nervous passenger, so you've got to be really careful when you drive. I was like, I will be really careful. So I put on my seatbelt very deliberately and then I very carefully reversed out of the car parking spot straight into a pole. And I was like, no, how can this happen to me? I'm doing the worst running ever, but eventually we made it to the set, and we had a look, and then I dropped them home, and then the next day was the day of actual filming, so I was ready. I turned up early. I carried stuff for them, and and then I got given the job of making coffee, which was excellent because I'd never made coffee in my life, and so I was making coffee for all the crew and everything, and they were like, wow, this is the worst ever. Thank you for the vomit, and... Eventually, the clients turned up to see how things were going. And I was like, do you want me to make coffee for them? And the producer's wife was like, no, no, do not. I will do it. You just go over there. So I went into the corner and they gave me this job, which is probably the only job left which I couldn't stuff up, which was pressing record on a video recorder. Like they would call out, they would be like, camera, and someone would say rolling, and someone would say sound, and someone would say up to speed, and they would say splits. And that was my job, I would say rolling, and I'd press record. I was like, Yes. And I felt like finally I was in the film industry because I had a button to press, but it was the only job I couldn't stuff up. And I was so keen to impress them, but I went home thinking, I did a terrible job. They are never going to hire me again. And as it turned out, I did a terrible job and they never hired me again. I never, ever worked in the film industry again. It was so distressing for me. I wanted to be there, but it didn't work. And I tell you this story because I think for many of us, we spend a lot of our lives thinking that God is like this great producer and he's watching us and he's wanting us to do a good job, to impress him. And we're like, we need to do the right stuff. We need to make God happy. We need to do all the good things so that God will see us and he will give us what we want. He might give us the job we need, or he might give us the marks we want. He might give us the life we need. He might give us the forgiveness that we desire. So we want to impress God because God is always watching We know that this is a big deal because actually God is not just someone who is like an employer. He is also someone who holds the keys to life and death. So if we get on his wrong side, things are going to go pretty badly for us. When I was in year seven, I got bullied by this guy for being good at science. I was standing at the station one day. I would got an award a few days earlier in um, assembly. And this guy comes up to me and goes, are you Thomas French? I was like, yeah. And he was like, I hear you're good at science. I was like, yeah. And he had a stick in his hand, and he hit me in the back of the leg. I was like, oh. And he goes, stop being good at science. <laughs> I was like, sorry. <laughs> he goes, and Then he hits me and goes, I don't like science geeks. I'm like, sorry. He goes, what are you going to do? And I am like, stop being good at science. I was like, yeah. And then he walked away. I was like, oh, my legs. But then then about two years later, I was at the station and, and, uh, and he came up to me and the trains were running late. And I was like, oh, he's back. I need to impress him. I need to impress him so he could never bully me for being a science nerd again. He was like, what's going on with the trains? I was like, what will I do to impress him? What will I do? What will I do? And I was like, I'll swear. I'll say the worst swear word I can think of. And I was like, those trains, yeah, the trains are bad. They've all gone poops. I said a worse word than poops. It was really bad. I was like, yes, I cussed in front of him. Yeah, I'm so hardcore now. And he was like, oh, yeah. And then he walked off. And I was like, yeah, I'm in his good books. If ever he comes to talk to me again, I'll be like, hey, man, remember that time I swore in front of you? We're like best friends now. I'm really on his good side. And so I felt like, you know, I'm never going to get bullied by him again. And turns out I never did. But I think that's because he was expelled. But... But sometimes we feel with God that actually what we've got to do is we've got to impress him, not just because, you know, he's got good things for us, but he's also got bad things for us. And things are going to go really, really bad if we stuff up. Like, we're not just going to get hit in the back of the legs. We're going to get to to hell for eternity, which is worse. So we really, really need to keep God happy. And so we do all these things to impress God. We try and live the best life we can so that God will like us, so that we can pay off our debts to God. And that will make things all right. Uh, earlier, sorry, at the end of last year, I did Red Frogs. Uh, has anyone, does anyone know what Red Frogs is? Yeah, great, a few of you. So Red Frogs is where a bunch of Christians go away to different spots around Australia and overseas, where um, Australian school leavers go, and they have a, the school leavers go and have a really good time. Uh, get really drunk, to, have, you know, do dangerous things. And we are there to look after them, to care for them, to help them get home safely, to clean up their vomit, to uh, cook them pancakes in the morning, just to bless them and help them have a safe and fun schoolies. That's what we're there for. And we don't advertise the fact that we are Christians, but inevitably it got out that we were Christians. And so over the week, we would have many, many conversations with drunk teenagers about religion. And there was one particular guy who came up to me, and he was like, I want you to tell me something. Do you think I'm going to hell? I was like, I don't, I don't really know you that well. I, I, I can't answer that question. He goes, you think I'm going to hell? You do? Well, I'll tell you what. God, if God's going to send me to hell, I don't like him. I don't want to worship him. I, I have done some good things. You know what I've done? I used to go to the city and I would help the homeless there. I, I'd spend my money and I would feed them and then I'd help them and then, and then I would do that until eventually they used to feel entitled and then they got angry at me and so I stopped helping them and so I do not help them anymore but I spent $400 on helping the homeless. If God doesn't think that that's acceptable, then I'm not gonna worship any God because I spent $400 on helping the homeless. How can he send me to hell? And then he walked off and that was it. And then he found some other people and was like, do you think I'm going to hell? And then he'd tell them how he spent $400 helping the homeless and to him, that was enough. If that wasn't enough to please God, then what could please God? And we think to ourselves, you know, we're like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, except we do the same kind of thing. We think if we just spend enough money that God will be happy with us. If we just do enough good things that God will like us. If we just turn up to enough things like this, if we just sing enough songs, if we just read our Bible enough, if we are good enough people, God will love us. But the whole problem with this is that we don't come to God as equals. We don't even come to God as servants. We come to God as enemies of God. And it's really, really hard to get yourself in God's good books when you're already God's enemy. And some of you are saying, uh, uh, no, I'm not God's enemy. I think it's pretty good, actually. I ca- How can I be God's enemy? Well, the problem that the Bible tells us is that God created us and he made us all people to love him and honor him and worship him. But all of us, though we were meant to love him and love each other, we have chosen to do our own thing, to hurt others, to to do the things which keep us happy, even if it hurts others. And we know this, we see the world, we see it in the violence in the world and the evil in the world and we see it in the selfishness in our own hearts and the way that we treat others. We know that we are people who have stuffed up and done the wrong thing. What the Bible tells us is that when we do this, that we become God's enemies. It tells us that when we do this, not only are we hurting others, but we are saying to God, God, I don't like your rules. I don't like that you want to be in charge. I want to be in charge. I want to be the one who rules my own life. And so we try and take God off the throne, and we put ourselves on the throne. And so we're not just enemies, but when we try and uh, depose the King of the World, that's being a traitor. And, it, and we know from looking at you know ancient sources, even today, that the punishment for being a traitor, the punishment for treason, is death. And the Bible tells us that that is what we deserve. That is what. We get from God for what we have done to him. From trying to just depose the good ruler of this earth, we deserve death. That is not enjoyable for us. And so how do we move from being God's enemies into becoming God's friends? Well, in the story of David, we see that there are some people who are David's enemies, And they want to become David's friends. This is when David's about to become king. And so they go and find one of David's enemies. And these guys, they find the enemy when he's having his afternoon nap. They stab him and then they chop off his head. And then they turn up to David and say, look, we brought you the head of your enemy. And for some reason, David doesn't really want a severed head. He's like, that's not enough. I don't like that. Thank you very much. And so he has them executed. It didn't work out that well for them. If we, if we turn up to God with a severed head of his enemies, is he going to bring us into his good books? No, he's not. If we say, look, God, I gave $400 to charity, is he going to love us? He's not. Even No matter how many songs we sing or readings we do or churches church we turn up to or orphans we sponsor or cars we wash for, to raise money for the youth group, no matter how much we do, it will not be enough to turn us into God's friends because we owe him our life. And so I guess we could pay with our life and then the debt will be settled, but also we will be dead. And so that won't be very fun for us. So how do we move from being enemies to friends? And that is where this story that we read before comes into play. So we see at the beginning of the story that David has become king. So I'm sorry, that's a spoiler. Because Mr. Destry is working through the early life of David. But after he has uh, done all the things that you're going to hear about at night, uh, David moves on and he becomes the king of Israel. And when he's early on in his kingship, he decides that he wants to fulfill some promises that he made. And so he's looking around to help. um, And he's looking around because he wants to fulfill a promise to his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul. King Saul was in charge of Israel, he was David's enemy, but eventually Jonathan and King Saul both got killed in a battle, which meant that David could become king. And so David is saying, how can I help? He says, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So they call in this um, this helper, sorry, this servant, his name is Zeba. Zebra is the servant of Saul, and he's like, is there anyone of Saul's house left that I can show kindness to? And Zebra's like, well, there is this one guy, he's, uh, you know, he's out in exile, he's in this place, you know, There's that guy, but that's about it. And David's like, bring him to me. And so they bring this guy in, his name is Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is uh, lame in both feet. He had an accident when he was about five years old. His nurse dropped him, so he can't walk properly. And uh, he's brought into David... And when he meets David, what does he bring David to make David like him, to, to become David's friend? Does he bring a severed head of David's enemies? He doesn't do that. Does he, bring a, does he bring a song to David? Does he bring more than a song? Does he bring... There it is. Thank you. Don't worry. There's more coming. Uh, does, he, does he bring the good things that he's done? Does he impress David with everything? Well, let's have a look at the passage. What does he do? It says this. It says from verse 6, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. He brings nothing. He brings nothing to David. He brings only himself. He only can beg for mercy. He comes in as David's enemy. And the reason why he is David's enemy is this. In those days... If a, if a royal family got deposed and another person ascended to the throne, then this new person from a new family would kill off all the old family so they couldn't take over, take back the throne. And so Mephibosheth is David's enemy. David should just kill him. that's what um, tradition says. So what does David do? Does he, does he kill him? No, he doesn't. Does he make him feel terrible? Does he say, you know, you know how close you are to death? You know what I could do to you, Mephibosheth? You better behave, Mephibosheth, because I am this close to chopping off your head. Does he do that? No, he doesn't. In verse 6, it says this, David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. David sees Mephibosheth, and instead of punishing him, instead of killing him, he makes him into his friend. David gives him his inheritance. David allows him to eat at his table, which is a sign of peace, As we see later, it says to us in verse 11 that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth comes in an enemy of the king and he leaves with a royal inheritance being treated like a son. David brings nothing, sorry, Mephibosheth brings nothing to David and yet still David shows him mercy. Still David makes him a friend. David makes him like a son. That is mercy. That is kindness. And why does he do this? Let's go back and look at verse 1. It tells us David asked, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David didn't show kindness to Mephibosheth because of Mephibosheth's sake. He didn't look at Mephibosheth and say, Oh, poor old Mephibosheth, he can't walk properly. I better be nice to him. No, he shows him kindness for the sake of his father, Jonathan. Jonathan and David made a promise to each other. Jonathan said to David, when you become king, make sure that you look after my family. Do not wipe them out. Don't kill my family, please. And David decides to honor that promise. David shows kindness to Mephibosheth, and he doesn't just kill him, he doesn't just not kill him, he gives him a new life. He gives him a new standing. He makes him like one of his sons for the sake of his father, Jonathan. Jonathan, before Mephibosheth was even born, was working for the safety of his child. So then when we see all this, the question is, does this answer for us how we can go from being God's enemies to God's friends? And I think that it does. Because when we come to God, we can bring nothing to God. We bring less than a song to God. We have nothing to offer Him. To God, we, are, we have no singing that will make Him happy because He's heard all our songs before. We have no prayers that we can pray because you know, he, is, he is not needing our prayers so that He is interested in us. See, we don't need to read the Bible for Him. He wrote the book Himself. We don't need to do kind things for others. God can do whatever the heck he wants. We don't need to give money to the poor because God has all the money in the world. There is nothing we can bring to God. Before God, we are as lame and as useless as Mephibosheth is before David. We have nothing to offer God. But God chooses to be kind to us for the sake of his son. His son Jesus, who gave his life for us, so that we might be able to become God's children. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 to 10 says this But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We are given life because Jesus gave his life for us. The death that we deserve, Jesus died in our place so that we could have a life that we couldn't earn. We become God's children. It tells us in the Bible that we become his heirs, heirs of the God of the universe. We become brothers of Jesus for the sake of God's son, Jesus. God is not kind to us because of us. He is kind to us because of what Jesus has done for us. This is how we move from enemies to becoming friends because of what Jesus has done. So the question is, how do we receive this? How do we become the children of God? What it isn't through the good things that we do. It's not, like I said, it's not our singing. It's not our prayers. It's not our good works. It's not the projects that we're going to go on. It is only by saying to God, I have nothing. All I have to rely on is your son, Jesus. Please give me mercy for the sake of Jesus. Have you guys ever seen a newborn baby? I'm guessing you have. Uh, the babies when they are born they can do very very little for themselves they can cry Pretty much. That's all they can do. And if they have any problems, they cry. If they're hungry, they cry. If they do a poop in their nappies, they cry. If you know, they've got a sore stomach, they cry. If they're upset with Australian politics, they cry. They just cry and cry and cry because it's the only thing they can do to say, I have a problem. They don't pay their way through the family. They don't turn up to family dinner on time and then make their parents feed them. They don't do anything. They just cry. And when they cry, they receive the love of their parents because their parents give it to them, not because they earned it, but because they love them. The way that we receive God, good things from God, the way that we become heirs of God's family, the way that we become people with an inheritance, the way that we become children of God is just by crying out to God and saying, I have nothing to give you. Yet still we, we get brought into his family. We become more than a servant. We become children of God. We cry out to God. Now lastly, the one question I think some of you may be asking is saying, well okay then, what's the point of doing these good things? Like if we just receive it, then why should I keep being nice to other people? Why should I keep loving God? Why should I keep Giving money to charity? Why should I keep praying? Why should I keep reading my Bible? Why should I do these things? We do them as a response to God's love, not to earn God's love, but a response to God's love. One of my favorite films ever is Jurassic Park. I love Jurassic Park. And before it came out, when I was a young kid, I was so excited about Jurassic Park, I entered a competition in TV Hits magazine, which was my favorite magazine, and I won uh, this poster of Jurassic Park, and uh, the novel of Jurassic Park, and a book about the making of Jurassic Park, and I won a t-shirt. And so I wore my t-shirt everywhere, I got so excited, and then we went to the um, opening night of Jurassic Park. My dad took me and my sister. It was to raise money for the local hospital. And I don't remember much except I loved the film and we ate dinosaur biscuits. And both of those things were really cool. And I loved the film so much that I went back to the cinema a, a few more times to keep watching it, which was a big deal because I was so young. But I really, really wanted to see it. And I read the book about of Jurassic Park, which made no sense to me at all because it's for people who are much smarter than I was when I was 12 years old. I... I read the book about the making of Jurassic Park and then I read it again and then I read it again. I wore my t-shirt everywhere. Um, I love Jurassic Park. I even saved up my money and bought the soundtrack to Jurassic Park and then I danced around the house like do 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 do. Doo, doo, doo. I had a great time. I loved Jurassic Park. And still today, I still love Jurassic Park. I, have, I still have Jurassic Park t-shirts that I wear. I still watch the movie when I can. I was so excited when Jurassic World came out, and then I watched it, and I was still excited because it was just like Jurassic Park, one of my favorite movies ever. Now, I do all these things because I love Jurassic Park, and when I do them, it doesn't change Jurassic Park at all. Jurassic Park doesn't get any better or worse of a film when I respond to Jurassic Park. It's not like I can make Jurassic Park better by loving it more, but I do it because I already love it. And when we respond to God's love, we don't do it so He will love us more. And we don't do it to change God. But the great thing is that God is not inanimate like Jurassic Park, but he still responds when we love him. But we love because he has loved us. And when we love others as a response to his love, it helps us love him more, helps others love him more, but it's not to make God love us, but only because we are loved. And then we can appreciate and love God more as we do it. The more we do it, the more we love God. It just goes on and on and on and on. We do it all as a response to god's love so if you are a christian then what this means for you you need to stop trying to earn god's love you need to stop trying to make god love you with your singing with your reading of the bible with your turning up to christian groups at school with your being kind and polite to your parents that's not going to make god love you anymore You need to come to God and say, I have less than a song to give you. I have nothing. Would you give me mercy for the sake of your son, Jesus? And God will. He will make you more than a servant. He will make you a child. God will. God has given you life. And so celebrate that you have life in him. Celebrate that you can love because of him. And go and live your life in response to him. Live the good life because Jesus has given his life for you. And if you are someone who is not a Christian, then what you need to know is you also need to stop trying to earn God's love. The only way you can be saved, the only way that you can be forgiven for your sins, the only way that you can escape death, the only way that you can become a child of God is if you say, I cannot do this on my own The only person I have to rely on is Jesus Christ who died and rose again for me. And when you trust in him, then you will find life. Then you will find that you become a child of God. Put your trust in Jesus. I'm going to give you a chance now, as I told you before, to become a Christian if you want to. If you've been thinking about this Maybe just for this talk or maybe from the time you've been at Soul Survivor or maybe over the last months, days, years. This is a chance for you to make a commitment to Jesus. We're going to say a prayer. The prayer I'm going to say is, God, I'm sorry that I have broken your rules. Please forgive me. Help me to rely on Jesus. Help me to live for you. That's the prayer we're going to pray. So, I'm going to pray it. You can pray it in your head, silently to God. Uh, Then, afterwards, I'm going to ask you to respond in a very small way, and we'll talk about what it means to follow Jesus. All right, why don't we close our eyes and bow our heads, and I will lead us in this prayer. Dear God, I'm sorry that I have broken your laws. Please forgive me. Thank you that Jesus gave his life for me. Help me now to live for you. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer, and maybe it was for the first time, or maybe this time, you're like, this time I actually meant it. I want you to do something really brave and I want you to stand up where you are. And this is not so we can ridicule you, but so we can celebrate with you, so that we can see who you are and so that you can say, I'm going to make a stand for Jesus right now. The first thing I'm going to do for Jesus is make a stand. So if you said that prayer, I want you to stand now. That's great. Excellent. It is really, really exciting to see you guys standing. Um, Oh, and now you're sitting, well done. Um, Is there anyone else who wants to do it? I know sometimes you can get pretty nervous. Nope, no worries, that's fine. You will get another chance later on in this week. Uh, For you guys... Uh, who said the prayer, what I want to do now is I want to just spend a little bit of time chatting to you and uh, if your youth leaders are around, are there youth leaders around? Yes, there are. Um, What we're going to do is we're just going to head out to the prayer room. We're going to chat to you a bit more about what it means to follow Jesus just to make sure you know what you signed up for because we don't want to trick you into anything. Um, So we're going to go uh, chat about that and pray together, and your youth leader is going to continue on this journey with you. Um, if there's anyone else who said that prayer, but you didn't want to stand up, you just want to like shoot on out the back with us, like, oh, no one will see me. That's fine too. You can join us. No problem. Uh, but I am now going to hand over to Andrew, who is going to continue uh, leading us uh, in our ministry.